Welcome to Home of the Brave. I'm Scott Carrier. At the end of the last episode, I said there'll be blood in this one, and that was a mistake. I shouldn't have gone that way. I should have tried to describe the landscape, what it feels like to be there in the Bears Ears area. It's a place where you can see the sun set from a long ways away, looking across 80 to 100 miles of land to the horizon. And at night, it's silent. It's not just quiet. There are no sounds. One night in Comwash, I took out my microphone and turned up the record level, and all I heard was the static electricity from my machine. And it was so dark, I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. I also made a mistake at the beginning of the last episode. I said the petroglyphs along the San Juan River are inside Trump's new monument boundaries, and that was not correct. It looked like they were going to be inside the new boundaries, but in the end, they were excluded, along with thousands of other archaeological sites. What does it matter? Why should we care? I care because the Bears Ears area is a wilderness, a place where you can feel like you're the only person in a hundred miles from you to the sunset, an easy place to get lost, or let's just say confused about which way to go or how to get back. The Bears Ears is pretty much right in the middle of the Colorado Plateau, a high desert unlike any other place on the planet, a geologic province unto itself the last place in the United States to be explored and mapped because the terrain is so difficult, a maze of deep canyons etched, eroded into a massive slab of sandstone five to 10,000 feet thick and 350 miles in diameter, covering parts of Utah, Colorado, New Mexico, and Arizona, home to eight national parks, including the Grand Canyon. The Bears Ears themselves are a landmark, high up in the air, something you can see from a long ways away. There, against the skyline, two sandstone buttes rising up off a long, flat ridgeline that look very much like the ears of a bear coming up over the mountain. Or actually, it's a high mesa, called Cedar Mesa. But it's more than just a landmark, because there's water up there. Cedar Mesa is covered by a thick forest of cedar and pine trees because it's up high enough to pull rain and snow from passing clouds. Down below, all around the mesa, it's dry as a bone, sand and sagebrush, but up high there's enough water for trees and plants, grass and flowers, animals like deer and elk and bighorn sheep. It's a biologically diverse island in the sky and people have lived on it or around it for thousands of years, moving up high in the summer and fall, coming down low in the winter and spring, growing corn along the riparian areas next to the streams and rivers running down off the mesa. One thousand years ago, people lived there in villages built into the sides of the sandstone cliffs, cliff dwellers who held religious ceremonies in underground rooms and traveled on roads running south to the Aztec Empire. But then, about 800 years ago, they vanished. Or it looks like they left thinking they were coming back. 
because they left a lot of stuff behind. Ceramic bowls and stone tools lying on the ground. Cool stuff buried in large jars, like a sash made from scarlet macaw feathers from central Mexico, or a finely woven cotton blanket. The people who buried these things thought they were coming back, but they didn't, and it's a mystery. Maybe the climate dried up, or maybe they were pushed out or killed by new people coming into the area, the Utes. The Utes, and later the Navajos, who moved into the Bears Ears area, left the abandoned villages and artifacts alone, maybe afraid of the spirits still hanging around. But white people, Americans in the early 20th century, started looting the sites. The feather sash and cotton blankets are now in a museum, but many other valuable antiquities were taken and sold to private collectors. Still today, you can walk around Cedar Mesa and find broken pottery and flakes from stone tool production lying on the ground where they were left by someone 800 years ago. It's a very strange and unique, beautiful, mysterious environment. And this is why President Obama created a large national monument to protect it. And he did it at the request of five native tribes who used to live there and still see the land as sacred. My name is Lee Kawanawasilma. I'm a um, member of the Hopi tribe, and I recently retired as the director of the Hopi Cultural Preservation Office, which I held for 30 years. I spoke with Lee in his family's kitchen on Third Mesa, the Hopi reservation, 200 miles south of the Bears Ears in northern Arizona. The Bears Ears, in terms of its archaeology and the ev physical evidence up there, reflect the ancient people, the first people we call them, Mutisinum, that inhabited the North American continent. We feel strongly that we are the descendants of those people up in uh, Bears Ears area, Cedar Mesa. Uh, that left, that, that vanished. Left, yeah, that. Well, they, 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 they left from there, but, you know, of course, they didn't vanish because we're descendants of those people. And the Hopis have traditions about those ancient people, and which today we have clans that are descendants of those people. I see it in the petroglyphs, because I, I can read petroglyphs. I look at it, and it tells me a story. I look at the archaeology up there. They reflect our culture with these villages up there and cliff dwellings that are, you know, amazing. All of that encompass the Hopi people's cultural footprint. So I believe the Hopi people are the most ancient culture here in North America. And, and my family is a farming family, even through today, you know, I'm still farming. The same farms that my grandfather and my father farmed, I'm carrying on the tradition. So you learn about hardship out there. We don't irrigate, and we grow corn, squash, watermelon, beans, as our staple foods without irrigation. 
the most important thing I learned growing up through today is really humility. My dad said, you never know what it's going to be like the following year. You never know. That's why our prayers are so heartfelt because we want moisture and we pray to the cloud people. We pray to the cloud priests out there that they will bring rain to sustain the humans. Not just Hopi, but all of life. So you have to have that humility so that everything out there, the spiritual forces, will see that you have that humility. They can see our heart. That's where the Hopis think. That's where the Hopis have knowledge from the heart. In 2015, Lee was part of a newly formed coalition of five native tribes, Hopi, Zuni, Navajo, and two Ute tribes, all of whom had fought wars with each other throughout time, but had now come together in support of a plan that would protect the Bears Ears area as a national monument and then include them, the native people, in deciding how the monument would be managed. So I think in 016, we began to uh, reach out and then we lobbied uh, the Obama administration. And um, I recall us meeting with Obama and his delegation and they were very interested in a proposal. And of course, uh, we testified and we talked about our connection, our living connection to Bears Ears. So it happened. It happened, and we were very, very thankful that the monument was created. By President Obama. By President Obama, 1.3 million acres. And it, 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 for sure it was going to protect uh, our ancestral ruins out there, our, our burials, our religious shrines that are out there. And that was good for me. It was going to protect our footprints. But then, of course, Donald Trump won the election, and Ryan Zinke became Secretary of the Interior. And so, <laughs> I laugh. <laughs> I laugh because there was now supposed to be government-to-government -government consultation with Secretary Zinke. Native government to federal government. Native, tribal consultation. So the coalition prepared itself because Zinke was now going to do face-to-face -face with, the, with the tribes. So there were several meetings with Zinke, but it was clear that reduction of the monuments was going to be the goal of the Trump administration. When you met with Zinke, did you actually meet with Zinke? Was he there in the room, he or was, were you just talking to his people? No, he, uh, he was there in the room. What did you think of him when you met him? Well, you know, I, I, I just think that he knew nothing about tribes. He knew absolutely nothing about 
the reverence that the tribes held for the environment, the land. He, he, we were, we were above him. He just couldn't understand the environmental part of it. The Hopis testified about their migrations, their footprints, about our history. He, he, he just, this was the first time hearing it. He had no idea what I was talking about. So I sensed that, and then I witnessed the signing and, and the delegation up in Salt Lake City and President Trump coming in. I, 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 I watched it and watched him sign it, and my heart broke. I, 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 I just knew now it was reality, and all our efforts to serve as good environmental stewards, to be the first and original stewards of the bear's ears, was now really nothing. This is how our, our clan people now feel about bear's ears. It is us. It is us. It is us that they're desecrating. Next time, I'm going to play an interview with a Navajo elder and go back and explain how the plan for the monument started out about eight years ago with a new idea, the idea of asking the natives how they thought the land should be managed. This had never been done before. It's a good method, one that I think could be used in other places. So until then, thanks for listening, and thanks for donating to the show.